and kids are dismissed to, to kids' ministry. So we're doing a series called Change, thinking about what it looks like to make positive changes in our lives. And um, we've been doing this series for several weeks. And what it's based on is uh, what's called the Eight Principles of Celebrate Recovery, which is an awesome organization that helps people to make positive changes. And generally, when we think about addiction or recovery, we have a, a certain sort of category, a certain kind of thing that people are addicted to. But I hope that you've all realized that we're all addicted to something. And hopefully you've been able to think about that in your life, because my hope is in this year that if you're part of our church, you're able to say, I, I was able to make this, this positive change in my life. Like, I'm so thankful that I was able to, to work through that because it's important for us at times to recognize that we all are struggling. There's all, always in all of us things that are difficult to, to process and work through. And so we've been going through these eight principles, and now I got to warn you, this is the part that I think most people just jump the ship. Like, I'm like, oh, this is a little too hardcore for me. I'm cool with the first ones that we've talked about, where it's like the God stuff, and that's okay. But like, when it comes to this one, it gets a little bit difficult. So we looked at the first part of it a couple weeks ago, but here's the total in totality, this, uh, which is principle number four. Openly and ex- examine and confess my faults to myself. We covered that a little bit, how important it is for us to actually claim the problem that we're in in things instead of just blaming on everybody else. Uh, to God and to someone I trust. And that's where we're like, all right, thanks, Brian, but um, I'm done there. Like, I, uh, I'm, I'm willing to do the God stuff. I'm willing to pray about it. I'm willing to, like, give it over to him and, you know, do that on a Sunday morning. But, like, when it actually, you know, somebody that I trust saying, yeah, I'm, I'm broken or there's this thing. I mean, there's the line in recovery communities, you're only as sick as your secrets, which is true. But we don't really want to get healthy, if we're honest. At least not bad enough. Because to reveal our brokenness, to reveal things that are difficult about us, or our shame, is really, really hard. When I was in my junior year of college, I played intramural basketball at Pepperdine. Um, I went to school in Malibu. And uh, while, while I was there, we played on uh, the, the B League, which is not even the A League, which is the best, but uh, I was good enough for the B League. And I'm a little bit uh, strange because my last name is Shackman, so people call me Shaq on the basketball court, but all I can do is shoot. Um, so people are surprised. Um, I don't really play down low, but so it usually gets me a few open shots before people start guarding me. Um, so I was in the game for my shooting ability, and we were down by two points with just a few seconds left. My teammate passed me the ball. I was going in for a layup, and the guy fouled me. So I go to the line with just over a second left in the game, down by two. It's that moment that you dream about when you're a kid, except it's not intramural B-League. It's the NBA Finals. But um, for me, it was, it was intramural, intramural B-League. And I'm, I'm standing there at the free throw line, a guy who is supposed to only be able to shoot, and I shoot the first free throw, and I missed it. I was, feel the energy sucked out of the gym, basically, because everyone was like, oh, no. And then at that point, the only option that you have is to throw it off the rim as, as hard as you can so one of your teammates gets a rebound and puts it in. It never really happens, but people try at least to do that. And so you have to hit the rim, which is really hard to do because you can't just throw it off the backboard to yourself and grab it again. You have to hit the rim. So I tried to strategically do that, and I threw it, and it get, went off the backboard, came forward, hit the front of the rim, and somehow fell through the hoop. So when I was trying to make it, I missed. And when I was trying to miss, I made it. And the whole room was just dumbfounded. Like everyone's kind of looking like, what, what just happened? The other team just passed the ball in for a second and, and won the game. And so I'm still reminded of that story constantly among my friends. Um, they talk about how I'm supposedly a good shooter. And I remember the, the next day being around campus, 
I feel like I had 10 people who came up to me and said, I feel so bad for you. And it was weird because it's like an intramural B-League basketball game. How is so many of these people there? Word spread around campus? I don't know, but I remember distinctly people coming up. Like when we have those moments when we embarrass ourselves, when we do something that everybody acknowledges is a screw up, like we just want to go as far away from that stuff as possible, right? We don't want to have those moments of exposure. We don't want to look weak in those moments. We don't want to actually make public mistakes. And so it's hard for us to say to somebody like, yeah, this is a problem in my life. This is hard for me. I I haven't been able to overcome in this area. I haven't been able to achieve some sort of victory in this thing. And so it's just easier if we're honest to just not really share our vulnerability, which is hard because Studies actually show that it's when you're vulnerable with somebody that you become friends. Like when you are first in relationship, what you're trying to do is puff out your chest generally and talk about your achievements. But it's when you actually say something to the effect of like, you know, I'm hurting in this area or I I need help. That's actually when you become friends. So oftentimes I think we need to learn from that, that it's through those moments of vulnerability that we truly see the human side of each other. But we have passages like, Proverbs twenty eight thirteen that says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is one of those things that I think we know is in the Bible, and we know at some point we need to do it, and that Jesus takes it very seriously. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, If you have a problem with somebody, stop doing the offering and go reconcile. And we think that's crazy for us. But this is at a time when people would have been traveling sometimes two and three days to do their offering, maybe even more than that. And so Jesus says to these people, hey, if you are going through the motions of this offering and you realize you have an issue with somebody, go take a three-day trip, go talk it out, and then come back and finish your offering. And so for us, it's hard to understand this, and it's a little difficult, and we're like, whoa, that seems pretty extreme. But for the people who would have heard it for the first time, it is way more extreme for them. Jesus says, don't just go through the motions. You can't just show up here and not sometimes have the ability to say to each other, yeah, I I wronged you. I messed this up. We've been doing a class on, on Revelation, and we just saw the passage. We're in the middle of Revelation, which is basically just Justin, who's a New Testament scholar, and me looking at each other shrugging like, I don't know what this means exactly, but uh, there, there's the famous passage that talks about the number 666. And throughout history, people have said, well, Hitler is 666, or um, sometimes Barack Obama, or Donald Trump, or, or pick your favorite or least favorite person in history, and someone's probably said that about these people. And there's all these different things that we say, well, the, well because of this and this and this, 666 equals that person. But in reality, what we have to face is 666 is in all of us. It's not some sort of evil power that's outside of us. That makes it way easier if we could just say, oh yeah, it's just, it's that person or it's that person. The spirit of of evil that exists, that Revelation is trying to deal with, it's in all of us. The line of good and evil isn't like us on one side and and the, the bad people on the other. It runs through all of us. And sometimes we participate in the evil in the world. And sometimes we hurt each other. Being in community is hard. And we need to be honest about some of the ways that we've hurt people in the past. 
There's a legend about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy who wrote the Sherlock Holmes. And uh, he, good job, Charlie. Oh, you were really quick on that draw. It wasn't a question, but you still got it in there before I finished. Uh, and he, there's a legend about him that he was a prankster and obviously an author. And he had five very influential friends who he sent an anonymous message to that said, all is found out, flee at once. And within a month, all five left the country. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's a legend in a book that I was reading for this. There's another one that's a really great story. There's a guy uh, named, named Tom Sanchez, and he did something that people used to do and people still kind of do today. That they will He goes and registers different domain names um, and then eventually tries to sell them to people who will want them someday. And so he had registered BenedictXVI.com. And so when um, Benedict XVI was elected in 2005 by the Catholic Church, uh, he was ready to, to have his moment. And this time he didn't ask for cash because he didn't want to make a whole bunch of Catholics angry with him. Uh, but he decided that he wanted three things. Number one, he wanted a Pope hat is fair. Number two, he wanted a free stay at the Vatican for a week. Also fair. And number three gets a little more specific. Complete absolution with no questions asked for everything he did for the third week in March 1987. (laughs) This is a real story, and the Catholic Church granted it for him. And I just find that crazy, because this was in 2005, so 18 years later, as he's considering this, like that is just what he jumps to right away. And I, I would love the specifics. What are we talking about for the week? Was it a Wednesday to Wednesday? Or like, I, I, I want to try and figure that out. But I think if we're honest, we know that there's something in our past, something that we would say, you know, I, that's something that I haven't really dealt with yet. And I don't know that I really want to. I'd rather just, just keep it down there. I'd rather keep it away. And I just find it fascinating that as he gets this like, Basically, opportunity to be granted three wishes by a spiritual genie almost, that he would just immediately jump to that. And what is it for you, perhaps, that if you were honest, you would say, Man, I, I don't know. Is that really forgiven? A week, you can do a lot of sinning in a week, right? That's a long time. But what is it, perhaps, that you would say, I just don't know. I don't know that I want to do the hard work to really see if that part of my heart can be healed. The problem is when we allow this stuff to continue to be in our lives and we allow guilt to be what we live from and we allow shame to be what we live from and we allow our our failures to be the way that we try to move forward, it's kind of like the old thing when they talk about um, baseball, like you can't be focused on all the ways you can possibly miss. Like if you're trying to hit a ball, all you can think about is the way that you're trying to hit it. If you think about the thousand ways that you could miss, oftentimes we're just thinking like failure, 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 failure. And then you're like trying to succeed thinking of failure because oftentimes we aren't really free from our past. And scripture again and again says that's about sharing those burdens with each other. It's about raising your hand from time to time and saying, yeah, I'm human. There's a pastor named Tony Armas. He says this, when you swallow your guilt, your body keeps score. Psalm 32, 1 through 5 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and 
who, in, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, think about this, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. If we claim to be without sin, this is from 1 John, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is a hard word for anybody because John is, is saying to this early community, if you claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the, and the truth is not in us. One of the things that I hope that you're thinking about during this series is, what is it that you're working on? What are you growing in? A line that I try to say often is, you will always be a sinner. Like that's always going to be a part of your life. But how are you moving forward? How are you maturing? What, what ways are you like working on yourself? How are you moving forward? Because hopefully you're not struggling with the same sin five years from now that you are right now. That you will show some growth, that you'll show some maturity, that you'll be able to say, yeah, you know, I'm still struggling. It's, it's, it's a grind in this area of my life, but I've had some victory. I've been able to work on, on this part of my life, and I'm so thankful that I did. Because change is hard. And when it comes to shame and, and failure and all that stuff that gets mixed in as we think about doing things in a new way, I love how Carolyn shared with us a few weeks ago about um, calling things lapses instead of relapses. That oftentimes when we set a new goal, we want to do it, but then by, you know, January 10th, we've already forgotten our New Year's resolution and we're not really doing it. So we sometimes don't even try that anymore because oftentimes, you know, we want to eat healthier, we want to do this or do that, and then we end up going in the same patterns and it's hard for us to actually change it. It's so helpful for me at least to have her say that we need to think of lapses as lapses and not relapses. Like, okay, you know, you want to eat less fast food? Awesome. Do it. Go for it. And when you eat at Wendy's once, don't let it just become the entire week. Just let, okay, I, I, I lapsed, but I'm not going to let that slide into a relapse. And that's so helpful for us to think about what it looks like for us to really say, yeah, I'm not going to let that failure get in the way because we oftentimes won't be ambitious in the things that we're trying to change because we carry around guilt and shame from the ways that we've let ourselves down. And I think God at times is just looking at us saying, you're forgiven. Now, live from that space. I think if we're honest, that Christians sometimes, or, or people who are our regular church attenders, often act like functioning atheists. That we don't really necessarily believe in the power of God all that much. We're kind of here to take communion, worship, you know, sing a few songs, to keep God somewhat distant, right? And be like, all right, God, I checked in, see ya. Instead of really coming here to be open and saying, all right, God, like, look in my life, look in my heart. What do I need to do? How, how can I move forward? What, what do you want to help me grow in? And so we can come even week after week, not necessarily believing that God is all that present or active in our everyday lives. 
that God has something to do with our eternity perhaps someday, and we're going to use that when we need it. But right now, like, Jesus, take the wheel later. You know, we'll figure, we'll get to that later, maybe when I need it at some point. But what would it look like for you to say, you know, I believe that God is, is present and, and alive and active and God's spirit and, and presence is, is with me in every single moment. So that has implications for how I live. It has implications for me understanding that there are things that I need to sometimes take responsibility for and just say, like, I, I got to find some people to talk with this. I got to like, share my burden with somebody. As was mentioned by Gabrielle, we're, we're restarting some, some mentoring groups that we've had. And if you would love to, if you want to get in, involved in those, it's a great space for us to, to share those burdens. But I, I can't program this into you. There's not something that I can say that can, like, force you to do this. Because you can be part of mentoring groups, you can be part of, of community groups, and not really actually share this stuff. You can do this for years and not really actually say, okay, this is what's going on in my heart. This is what's in my life. And I'm willing to raise my hand and say, and I'm broken. And I just wonder why we won't do this. I know why we don't do it. But I love how the book of James says this. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Think about that. But this is a prescription from the book of James who is the brother of Jesus, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. What a powerful statement. That through confession, through like sharing that stuff, there's ways that you can be healed. And generally, when when we think of of confession, we think of the, the Catholic Church and like showing up to talk to a priest. And that's actually, I think, better than most Protestant churches, which, which I'll get to in a minute. But in the Catholic church, generally, it's like you go and you talk to somebody, and it's like an anonymous moment where you say, you know, I've, I've done this, and, and you're, you're confessing uh, something to, to this priest who, who is there. And that is actually not the way that Scripture talks about confession. When Scripture talks about confession, it's actually like to the person that you've hurt or like confessing to a group of people, some people who can hold you accountable. So generally, I would say that the Catholic Church is actually better than the Protestant Church because generally in Protestant churches, I think we get together and we take communion together and we like spend that moment, you know, hopefully in in prayer and reflection. And it's like, all right, God, I did it again. And God's like, all right, I know. Um, So what are you going to do about it? And we're like, all right, see you next week. And it's that same pattern. All right, God, I did it again. And God's like, I know you're forgiven. I I understand that. But now, like, go do something about it. And then it's like, all right, God, I'm I'm back. I'm here again. And we don't necessarily, I think, get what we really need, which is relationships with actual people who can tell us you're forgiven. We don't need this just, like, from a spiritual level, though that's important as well. But we need this from people who can look us in the eye and tell us, well, that's what you've done? Well, let me tell you what I've done. And let's move forward together. Sometimes we need like living, breathing, actual people standing in front of us telling us that we're forgiven. And it's in those moments, I think, that we actually start to believe it. When we can share with people and they can look us in the eye and say, you know, you are loved. 
by God. One of my mentors, he told a story about a church that, that he was at where there was a, a girl in, in his youth group at, at the church who had gotten pregnant when she was in high school and she wasn't married. And um, she started the show. And when she started the show, she'd been at the church forever. She just decided she, she couldn't go to church anymore because she didn't want to walk around with that and like have people know that about her. And so he found out about this girl, and he went to uh, her home and met with her, and she started sobbing. And she said, these are people who, like, I've loved forever, and they, they love me. I just can't go. And he said, eventually, she did come back. And it was when she was very obviously pregnant. It was towards the end of her pregnancy. And at the end of service, he asked for prayer. And anybody who wanted to come forward could come down and pray with him. And he said it's his most powerful moment in ministry because she was sitting in the back. She kind of shuffled in. And she tried to come down to him. But she only got one row because everybody just came around her and started to pray. Oftentimes, we don't even realize how much forgiveness, love, and grace is there for us. And we think that there's something that we've done that puts us on like one side of the line. And it's when we actually are just willing to be vulnerable that we realize that God's forgiveness and grace is even better than we could have hoped. I love the New Testament passage that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I don't think we actually believe that until we experience it. Until we have that moment. And I think about that girl and that situation. And for her, it was obviously like it was a, a present reality and she was going to have a baby, so it became this, this thing that was obvious. Eventually, because of the love of that church, she and, and the boyfriend got married. And as far as I know, they were still attending that church. But oftentimes, our stuff isn't as tangible. It isn't so obvious. And so we can carry it with us and not really tell anybody and push it below the surface and ignore the healing that's possible. That passage is, is so powerful, isn't it? That you confess your sins to one another, that you just raise your hand and say, I'm broken, that you talk with people and you can experience healing. And again, it's not just because of, of this spiritual reality. I think sometimes we need people to remind us what God is like. Because we carry the image of God in all of us and it's so powerful when we are able to share that. Brene Brown, who's a fantastic author and speaker, if you haven't heard her before, um, she said, and this is before the, the movement that started with these two words, she said, the most powerful words in the world are me too. I think that is so profound. Because sometimes we need flesh and bones people to remind us what our God is like. This is why that forever the church has 
taken communion together to help us to have like tangible reminders of Jesus' body and blood. In the same way, we need tangible reminders of what God's grace and forgiveness looks like. We need people in our moments of sin, in our moments of brokenness, to surround us, to pray over us, to remind us how loved we are by God. Are you robbing yourself of that? Are you robbing yourself of achieving some healing because you just don't really want to reveal that to somebody? Because Jesus' reminder in the Sermon on the Mount is don't spend another day going through the motions. In fact, if you have something against somebody, if you need to apologize, if, if you need to seek forgiveness from somebody, drop that offering and go back home and talk to them. Walk away from that. Don't just go through the motions one more time because you can truly experience healing. And again, this step in this process is where we generally just say, all right, this is a little too much for me. You know, I, I can even do the like prayer to God once a week and say, God, I'm here again. I did it again. But actually taking that step is so hard. But church, I truly believe it's what heals us. Because we need to see someone who is like not shocked by our sin. Who will continue to sit with us and walk with us and remind us of the very presence of God. Let's pray together. God, this is much easier to talk about than it is to actually do. But may we remember that simple idea that we are only as sick as our secrets. And some of us have some things that we need to share. Some of us have some people that we need to apologize to. Some of us have some people that we need to just go and and remind them that they are forgiven. May we not settle for surface level friendships and relationships, but ones that truly transform the world. May we go to that second part of James 5.16 that we can experience healing. May we be willing to share what it looks like to say, I'm broken, I'm struggling, and I need help. Father, be with us as we seek your forgiveness and your transformative love. May we all truly be healed. Jesus, in my pray. Amen. We're going to sing uh, Lord Reign in Me right now. And I thought this is a, a simple just song for us to remember that the only way this makes sense is if you truly believe that God is the Lord of your life. The only way that it makes sense for us to share our brokenness with each other is to recognize that we are all in need of a Savior and that we are, we are, are all broken. So may we sing this to remind all of our hearts that we need the reign of God at every single moment. Let's stand and worship together.